vehicle really cheaper to own than an old-fashioned gas guzzler? Well, EVs were once promised to us as eco-friendly and friendly to our pocketbooks. But have they delivered on that promise? The truth is, electric vehicles only help the environment when electricity generation itself becomes decarbonized. Otherwise, we're substituting burning fossil fuels from our gas tanks to our power plants. I'm Christy I, and today we'll talk about the cost of converting to all electric vehicles. Let's get started. What is the cost to buy and maintain an electric vehicle versus your traditional petrol-powered vehicle? Well, first, there's the cost to buy an EV. Model to model, electric vehicles are currently more expensive than petrol-consuming vehicles, about $56,000 compared to $46,000. Now, to compensate, many countries are offering tax credits and subsidies ranging between $5,000 to $10,000. Luckily, the cost differential could disappear in the near future with more EV models on the marketplace and the development of less expensive batteries. Then, there's the cost to run and refuel an EV. It costs about $550 a year if you were to drive your EV 15,000 miles per year. You'll be spending about $1,300 a year to pay for that much gas. So clearly, EVs went out there. Now finally, we have the cost of maintenance. EVs have more complex computerized pieces, and the average yearly maintenance runs between $600 to $832. A car, though, with combustion engine costs about $500 to $650 to maintain. Plus, combustion engines have been around for centuries. Your everyday mechanic is able to repair your average car on the driveway and swap parts in and out. Meanwhile, EVs typically require maintenance at specialized dealerships and service stations. So all in all, while the cost of an EV today will save you a lot of money when it comes to refueling, the long-term costs of maintaining it might negate all of the savings. India has had great success with its low-cost vehicles, with its automakers selling 430,000 EVs in the last 12 months. Most were two- and three-wheeled vehicles, actually, with cars accounting for only 18,000. As India is pushing to decarbonize its transport sector, the government expects investments in the EV industry to more than triple to $20 billion by 2030. Now, these investments will be working to bring costs down even lower and include features like battery swapping programs to expedite the adoption of electric scooters and rickshaws. The Indian government and auto industry are also betting heavily on the affordable EVs. India's model could have global ramifications as billions of people in Africa, Asia, and Latin America don't own cars. The government hopes to eventually export these cheap EVs over to these developing nations. We are talking today about the cost of natural gas, so let's take a look at India, where the share of natural gas consumption has increased to 6.7% as it aims to have 15% gas in its energy mix by 2030. Currently, coal is the primary fuel source used for power generation, oil is used for transport and industry, and biomass for residential heating and cooking. But as India has faced its worst power crisis in over six years earlier in 2022, India is facing mounting pressure to become energy independent. With more on the affordability of EVs, let's bring in Lauren Fix, auto expert and car coach. So Lauren, what do you think the biggest barrier entry is for households to adopt an EV? Is it the cost or is it something else? 
That is a huge factor. I was just recently in Vietnam with a company called VinFast who is making a lot of scooters. The scooters seem to be the biggest uh, user in a third world country, whether it be Vietnam or India or Pakistan. They like having scooters. They put a lot of people on scooters, which we would never do here. You'll see three, four people on a scooter. It's kind of mind blowing. But um, for them to move to electric cars is very expensive. The cost of living there is very high. Um, the government takes the bulk of the money. If you don't work for a government agency of some type, you don't get any sort of retirement. So these people are working very, very hard. Bicycles are pretty much their form of transportation. Um, there isn't a lot of mass transit in some of these rural cities. So electric scooters are the only way to go. Um, when you're talking about like India, there's no infrastructure for charging. That's a massive issue. Uh, I'm part of the World Car of the Year Awards, and one of the people on the steering committee is from India and has told us many a stories. He's their number one reporter, and he basically said the biggest problem is there's no place to charge. Charging is way too expensive. People can barely afford to eat, and the last thing they're thinking about is buying an electric car. Those people that can afford electric cars usually have other vehicles or have drivers. Now, India and China, they've seen great successes with smaller, cheaper EVs like scooters. So do you think that model will ever be a thing in places like Europe or the U.S. where instead everybody must have a car as a social status item? Well, I think having a car is more than a social status symbol in the U.S. because you can't get places. Where I live uh, in rural New York, there is zero mass transportation. And that doesn't mean there's, there's no buses, there's no trains, there's no subways, there's nothing. So if you don't have a vehicle, you're not getting anywhere. And I'm not in a rural area. There's a lot of suburbs that are like that across what the government calls the flyover states, which is anything that's not on the coast. But even in a place like New York City, you're not allowed to have these scooters driving on the sidewalks. They have to drive in with traffic, and it's also very dangerous. But in the upper half of the U.S., as well as in Europe, the biggest problem is weather. So if you've got a snowstorm or an ice storm, you're not going to be driving a scooter. You need to purchase a car or use mass transportation. Otherwise, you're not going anywhere. And that may sound great. Well, I don't go anywhere today. But if it's an emergency and you need to get someone someplace or get medication for your child or, or get wherever it may be that you need to be, you won't be able to do that. So that's why scooters sound great in warmer countries, but in countries that have bad weather, snow and ice and and all kinds of other issues, which is the upper half of the whole hemisphere of both, you know, east and west, I think you're, you've got a problem. And, and so this is not going to work. So having a car is the only form of transportation. If you can get away with mass transit, then you should use it. But not everyone can. And it's not that safe, especially in Los Angeles, where they were really pushing hard to pay people not to buy, use their cars. They're going to pay them a thousand dollars to not use their cars and buy their cars and destroy them. The problem is mass transit doesn't go everywhere. Mass transit is not safe in many areas, especially New York, Los Angeles, Chicago. You just have to watch the news to see what the facts are. And this is very concerning for people. If you've got a family or you need to bring groceries home, you're not going to be able to do it. That's why people need cars. You know, if BJ's, Costco, all those places, those big box stores, where we like to buy a lot of stuff. You can't do that where you'd save money if you don't have a car. You can't put it on mass transportation. It's just not going to work. Now, it seems that banks, they're actually reluctant to give out loans for EV purchases. Why is that when traditional gas-powered auto purchases can secure easy financing for most people? Well, if you look at cars as general, when you go and purchase a car, whether it be new or used, you know that it's going to be used by many owners over its lifetime. 
Uh, there are cars on the road that are over 15 years old on average right now. I own cars from the 60s. They still drive. Now, if this was an electric vehicle from the 60s, I promise you it would have gone through three or four batteries, which are very, very expensive, sometimes costing more than the vehicle itself. If you're talking about an old Chevy Volt, the battery is more expensive than the car's value. So as an investor, if you were a bank, you would never give someone more money than the car could be worth at the end of the term of the loan. So what they're thinking is, we're not going to put out loans for this. It doesn't make sense from an investment standpoint. If you're going to give me a loan for X, fill in the vehicle, some cool electric car that's reasonably priced $40,000 at the end of a five-year loan, because the average car loan is five years, the vehicle will need a new battery, which means it's lost its value. It doesn't have resaleable value. And that's what the banks look at. If you default on your loan, they're going to want to sell that vehicle to cover their costs and it won't work. So, and that's what could happen. So a lot of the times, that's why when it comes to EVs, they're being leased. Even Tesla owns their own leasing company because the banks won't lease to Tesla because he's not a legitimate car dealership. He calls himself a tech company and that's how he's bypassing having dealerships. And that's the same thing is true with Rivian, Lucid, and a bunch of the other companies. Uh, Endurance, uh, I'm trying to think of the other one, Fisker. There's a bunch of them out there that that is a situation that they have to lease these vehicles. So at the end of the lease term, those vehicles go back to those car companies where they can fix them and resell them on a secondary market. However, they take a huge loss on those vehicles. Thank you so much, Lauren Fix, but stick around. We'll bring you back after the break to discuss what is happening in California as they hope to force everybody into an electric vehicle while they don't seem to have enough energy power supply for even the existing EVs. to shape out, disdain becomes the etiquette, and engagement equals betrayal. When so many find themselves worlds apart, we choose to look for common ground. At this hour, American and coalition forces are in the early stages of military operations to disarm Iraq, to free its people, and to defend the world from grave danger. We will bring to the Iraqi people food and medicines and supplies. And Children at St. Anne's Residential School suffered nightmarish levels of abuse, torture, and child rape, and yet the Office of the Attorney General suppressed thousands of pages of police evidence that identified those perpetrators. In this school, I was electrocuted twice. I was only seven years old. It was too high for me, so somebody put me in the chair. 
Father Lavoie used to run over here after he abused somebody and run here and seek absolution and whip himself. Some of them are my relatives didn't make it, drinking themselves to death, overdoses. But you know what it made me? It made me um, the person I am today because I'm a fighter. I don't give up with anything. Investigations were too often handled differently because the deceased was indigenous. So many of the worst criminals got away. The bishops got away. Uh, the ones who'd done most of the damage never got charged. Welcome back. Are we ready for an electric vehicles only market? In the United States, California was the first state to ban the sale of new gas-powered vehicles by 2035. But is the state's energy grid ready for this radical shift? The answer at the moment is a resounding no, as California faces an energy crisis and begs residents not to charge EVs during a heat wave. Only about 18% of vehicles on the road today in California are electric. So what can we expect if another major heat wave hits and we have 30, 50, even 80% saturation of electric vehicles on the road in a couple of decades? The state currently has 80,000 public charging ports, but the state will need to build millions to satisfy the charging market in the coming decades. So now let's bring back in Lauren Fix, auto expert and car coach for more. Now, Lauren, California wants to achieve net zero emissions in its electricity sector by 2045. But as we can see from the existing infrastructure failures, that goal seems a long way off. So what will it take for California to achieve this and how much will it cost? And most importantly, where will that money come from? Well, this is a big problem. And it's not just California. There's 17 total states, which include New York and Massachusetts, Connecticut, and others that are going to follow suit with California. The problem is every single state has the exact same problem. California just on a bigger platform. So just to give you some background on this, currently there's 6.4% of the cars on the road are electric vehicles. And in California, it's 18%. So if we're already having blackouts with 18% of the cars in the road, problems with infrastructure, problems with charging, and reduction of coal and natural gas, reducing us down to just using wind and solar and one nuclear power plant, we have a problem because there's no way for this state or any other state to be able to support electricity on a green path. Now, although it sounds great on the surface and everybody wants to do the right thing, the biggest concern is, one, you don't have enough coming from wind and solar. It can't be, even if you put up more solar panels and more windmills, it's just not going to be enough. Uh, so what happens is at night when more people charge, we're already having blackouts and brownouts. And the reason they charge at night is it's less expensive and there's less of a drain on the grid. There needs to be something called baseload power. Baseload power is what was removed in Texas when they had that snow and ice storm. And baseload power is what's needed. That's your coal, your natural gas, nuclear power, whatever form that might work for, for your state, for your country. That is required. That's what you use on a regular basis, just everything being normal. When you have a big draw, like during the day, that's when you're having even more rolling blackouts and brownouts, which is why Governor Newsom said he's not going to shut down that last nuclear power plant. So we have a lot of issues, not just with that. And when it comes to the money to pay for it, and we're not talking about oh, how many millions or trillions. No, we're talking way beyond trillions. Each 
power station, <laughs> each charging port is a million dollars to put in. So a gas station that might have six pumps that makes no profit margin on selling gasoline. They make money when you go in to buy coffee and a candy bar and a bag of chips. That's where they make their money. It's called a lost leader and they don't make money on that. So this is really important to note that if they were to put in six gas pumps and replace those with six electric charging stations, besides the fact that you would be there for a longer period of time, not seven minutes to fill up, but hours in many cases, you'd be for a regular charging, a level two, they don't have $6 million, not in profit or otherwise. Now, if you're talking about fast chargers, you're talking millions of dollars per fast charger, but then the infrastructure has to be able to support that. And in many cities and towns, it can't because the infrastructure is older. And in order to upgrade that, you're talking way more than trillions of dollars, way more than what we've spent on other things. And again, this is going to take time. So if you're going to do a transition from gasoline to electric or allowing that option to be maybe more popular, it's going to take time. But trying to push it in a five-year or 10-year period is an absolute disaster. And if you want to see failure in this effort of electric vehicles, Push it faster than technology can make it. Push it faster than we can afford to build it. And push it faster than even possible. And you're going to have a failure and consumers will push back. Right now you have one in five consumers who purchase electric cars go back to gasoline-powered cars. And it could become a higher percentage based on their experiences. And more people that have trouble, experiences, problems, and so forth, this will lead to people pushing away from electric vehicles. Now, they say you can tell a lot about an economy and how it's doing from the sales of cars. And right now, it seems that the sales are slowing down. So given the health of the economy and the median income of households, are EVs even an affordable option for many, not just in California, but in general? Uh, the cost of electric vehicles on average is $66,000. The average cost of a gasoline-powered vehicle is $34,000. So what that does is it eliminates the average person from being able to afford that because of the cost of the vehicle, whether they lease it or purchase it, it gets very expensive. And it's not just that. People go, well, you save on the gasoline. Not $30,000 worth, you don't. But where, what the additional costs are is insurance is twice as expensive, which is never discussed by anyone. Your tires wear out quicker because electric vehicles weigh more, and they also are used as part of the regeneration of the brakes that's used to maintain a charge on the batteries. But then on top of that, you have to buy a charging station if you have a garage unless you can find free charging locally, which there is no free charging anymore. Everything has a fee, and you have to have a certified electrician install it. It's important to note that if you have an older home, and that would be something that's more than 30 years old, you need to get an electrician to check it out because some of the older homes are still, especially if they're really old, uh, early 1900s, that's a massive problem because your home may not be able to support uh, the draw from the charging station. Remember, this is more than a dryer. This is going to be something that's going to put a big draw on your system. It's also going to mean you have an electricity bill. And the cost of electricity has almost doubled, and it will continue to go up as more people use it. It's supply and demand. It's basic economics 101. So you really have to look at the total cost of ownership and what the resale value on electric cars is substantially less than that of gasoline-powered cars. That may change in the future. But the fact is right now you are not ahead of the game. And those people that choose electric vehicles – need to keep a few things in mind. Also, if you were one of the people that was involved in what happened in the southwest Florida with the flooding, which can happen on any coastal state, salt water was causing these electric cars to be totally garbage, just like gasoline-powered cars. However, the additional issue is they've been catching fire because of salt water and batteries, causes corrosion, 
and electrical fires, and it's bad. So really keep in mind all the factors that affect you before you make that decision. It seems like right now people think that just because they drive an EV, they're helping the planet. But what they don't realize is that most of the electricity generated still ultimately comes from coal or gas emissions. So do you think renewables can ever replace traditional fossil fuels, or will it just continue to be a supplement? I think that electric vehicles will be a supplement. Uh, what's important to note is why you did state correctly that oil and gas is is part of what's used to create electricity. Let's take a bigger look at this and look at what makes up these electric vehicles. They're all cool looking, and I've reviewed all of them, and they're amazing technology. But you have to look at the battery first. Is there are seven rare earth minerals in every single battery produced. They're all lithium ion based. Where is all those materials coming from? They come from mines that are made in China. They're either from China, from Afghanistan, from Africa, and all of those mines are owned by China. Now we do have mining available here in the U.S. for lithium, but the reason we don't mine lithium here or cobalt or other rare earth minerals is not just the limitation of them, but the fact that it damages the environment. So we don't do that for that reason because the EPA won't allow for that. Now that makes sense. We're not going to damage the environment here in the U.S., but other areas of the world they are. So now you've got these seven rare earth minerals that are basically put together in a cake. Think of like when you bake a, a birthday cake, for example. If I told you to take the eggs out of that cake, you'd <laughs> say it was impossible. Right, so how do you separate these materials? So this is part of the problem. Some of them are much more hazardous, not just to humans, but to the environment and can't be buried in the ground, such as cobalt, cadmium, lithium, mercury, neodymium. Those are just five of the seven. These are all very dangerous minerals. And there's no way to recycle them. So in 2030, we may be finding ourselves with a lot of these electric batteries that are no longer useful once they're completely used in the secondary market for whatever they might be, and they're finally done. There's no way to recycle them. There are a few companies that are working on it, but they cannot get all of it. And what are we going to do with the stuff that's not recyclable? How do you not? How do you get the eggs out of the cake? Essentially, keep that in mind. It's very difficult to do. And if it's not recyclable, that's a problem. But then look at those cool electric cars. They look awesome. Sure they do. And what are they made of? Plastic. And what is plastic made of? Petroleum. So while <laughs> you think that we can get away from petroleum, you can't. It's in your phones. It's used to process medication. It's on your sheets, on your clothing. Literally every single thing you touch and use every day, including glass, is processed or uses petroleum. So you're never going to get away from it. It's still going to be here. So while you're thinking that's going to go away, it's never going to happen. So what are the biggest challenges and problems that current EV owners face? You previously mentioned some things like wearing out the tires, long lines at the charging stations, and waiting to get the replacement parts from Tesla because we all know that's a nightmare. What other problems do these owners face? Well, there's a lot, a lot of things that people need to think about. I think people don't realize when the batteries wear out uh, over a period of time, they have to be replaced. Now, some manufacturers, such as Volkswagen and Ford, will have longer warranties. But when you have a, a problem with your vehicle, Tesla has to take the vehicle away if they can't fix it remotely. And consumers don't realize that you don't get a loaner car. You get a loaner car when you're talking about Ford, GM, Chrysler, the normal brands that, we, that we're used to. Not having a loaner car is a problem. I had many of friends who had Teslas with issues who were very frustrated when they got an Uber card, which is certainly not the same thing as driving your own transportation. That's their form of, of, of having a loaner vehicle. So that is a problem. Uh, in addition to that, um, 
things that people don't think about is the cost of the charging station, the installation of that charging station. That is, of course, on your expense, plus the cost of the electricity. So all of that adds up. I think people don't realize the range uh, issues that they have. There was a lady who drove from Chicago to New Orleans, and she worked for one of the major Chicago papers. She rented an EV. The brand doesn't make a difference because they all have the same problem. She went to charge and found that either the charging stations were broken. They didn't charge fast enough. And in the end, her trip from Chicago to New Orleans, she spent more time charging than she did sleeping. <laughs> and she said at, by the time she got to New Orleans, she said, I'm done. I'm flying back. So that's wow. a huge statement. So if, if a journalist who's trying to be very positive about this has had a very negative experience, she's not the only one. And if you say, a lot of people say, well, they just need more charging stations. That's great. Again, you're talking about the cost of those charging stations, the time. And when you go to a gas station, you're in and out in seven minutes. If there's a car behind you. I just went through the hurricane in South Florida, and you waited in line. The car left, and you were in the next vehicle in line. Seven minutes per vehicle, not a problem. But when you're coming to charging, even a fast charger, it's a minimum of 20 minutes will only get you 80%, and then you're back looking for another charging station. So that's 20 minutes. That's already three times longer than what you're waiting for gasoline. And on top of that, if there's someone there who decides to go to the mall and leave their vehicle, you can't do anything. You're just waiting. And there's a lot of frustrations with charging stations. And you can't unplug it and plug it into your vehicle if that person's not there because they're locked in. So that is a problem. Thank you so much, Lauren Fix, for joining us. Now, when it comes to electric vehicles, the cost to switch to an EV is fluid and dynamic. On the one hand, EV technology continues to improve, allowing for cheaper costs to consumers. But on the other hand, consumers are not getting that great of a deal if they factor in the long-term costs of owning one. Consumers can't service or repair their EVs in their own driveways, which means you must take it to the shop every time there's damage. Finding charging stations, long charging times, high initial costs, limited driving range, and expensive replacement battery packs are some of the biggest disadvantages facing the EV markets today. That is not to say that technology cannot improve or increase range or lower battery costs, but currently as the situation stands today, the world is not ready for a conversion to all EVs because we lack the infrastructure to support it. That includes an updated power grid, more charging stations, and more auto body shops able to work on these cars. So, unfortunately, it is the early adopters today who have already converged to EVs that are now burdened with these unforeseen hidden costs that they never anticipated and were never warned about. I'm Christy I. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time here on The Cost of Everything.